Hello and welcome to EdTech Creatives again. This is um, the second part of my report from BET 2020, which I've enjoyed a great deal so far. Um, at the moment, I'm just wandering around the uh, main uh, concourse, pavilion, um, in the education show. And uh, apparently, uh, Professor Brian Cox is, a, is delivering a talk at about half past four. So I want to get to that just because he's a celebrity. Simple as that. Um, so I'll go and see him quite soon. But in the meantime, I want to talk to some of the smaller tech startups about the way that they um, view education and learning and to try to get to know them better. So not for the first time, I'm going in. Um, I am with uh, Lawrence Francini. Um, who's from Brainco. Uh, Brainco um, claimed to help children um, have more control over their, their, their brain, over their mind, over their thinking. Um, and it has lots of implications for things like uh, well-being and uh, mindfulness and so on. Uh, but of course, Lawrence knows a great deal more about this than I do. So yeah, what we are is actually, we're a brain machine interface technology company born out of the Harvard Innovation Lab. Uh, so we actually have our PhDs from in neuroscience from Harvard and also PhDs from MIT that actually developed the algorithms. And what we do is we make a wearable that actually helps students actually measure their attention levels, focus levels, and also relaxation levels. So in school, what we find is that with all the information coming at them, how do children and students right now today digest that information? All right, so this is a, a way for them to actually learn the skill of concentration or focus and the skill of meditation and relaxation. So we're very big on on actually teaching those skills of social emotional learning to actually improve their overall educational outcome. Right, so um, yeah, so Lawrence is wearing this uh piece of wearable tech uh, around his head that has a sort of green, I'll, I'll tweet a photo of this later on. Um, it's a headband with a, with a green light in the center of it. Um, so uh, can you talk me through that? Yeah, so the wearable itself actually is something that we've built and designed in Boston, Massachusetts. And if you look at the screen, you can also take a picture of that too. That's actually my real-time engagement levels. And what we do is we measure your alpha, beta, delta, theta, and gamma brain waves. And we get a real-time assessment of whether you're you're in a focused or engaged state or a relaxed or meditative state. And we do it in a very easy to see platform. So colors and numbers, right? So zero to 100, zero to 34 is what we call relaxed or meditative and that's represented by blue or like a green. And then we have a mindful or aware state which is from 35 to 64. And then we go into a highly focused state which is gonna be from 65 to 100 represented by red. And then this way that you know we can see and the student can see the natural ebbs and flows of like not only the classroom, but also even uh, with our one-on-one -on -one attention platform, which is our Focus Now uh, platform, so they can see their brain state as we go. Good, so, um, I mean, as you probably know, teachers like to jump to conclusions, uh, don't they? So you've done the research and you know this very well, so you, you will have an answer to this one. So uh, I'm sure that teachers will say to you, um, does that mean that, um, I, that I'm gonna say to my students, you know, Brainco says you're not paying attention, you're under tension. Absolutely not. That's the last thing we want to do. Because, and it's really not even fair. Because, I mean, think of it now, right? When you're in class, how do teachers get feedback that their, their curriculum is engaging, that they're effective in the, in the classroom? They're using gut instinct, facial recognition, um, you know, all that. And Already a variety of metrics. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's nothing scientific. Now they actually can see that. And the goal is that we want everyone in the class to be as, as in sync as possible because that, that shows the best outcome. And when you have an outlier, if you can go and simply course correct 
and just maybe ask a, a pointed or targeted question, that brings that student back on center. Um, so we've, we've done a number of different research papers. Uh, MIT Media Lab did a study on it. I'm you know, more than happy to share that with you as well, where it shows that you know, if you engage that learner at the right moment, when they're, you know, maybe they're getting a little distracted, you engage that learner, they're two times more likely to learn effectively than without. So it's, that's the most important thing. And because I remember when I was in school, I always would put my hand on my head, right? You know, just because it was heavy and I was tired, but didn't mean I wasn't paying attention. It just was heavy. Yeah. And so now, instead of getting in trouble for something like that, you know, now we could see like, oh, wow, that, that's, you know, Lawrence is still paying attention. It just happens that, you know, he has his hand on his head, no big deal. So forgive me one more stupid question because teachers ask these all the time. No, as you, no as you, <laughs> so do you envisage a time when um, you know, kids will all be wearing these things in the classroom, the, the wearable tech? I, I definitely think the, the future is definitely bright for wearable tech um, because you know, not only do we do this in the classroom, but we also put this in uh, focus now as a platform that uh, we sell through our website right now, which is an attention training tool that we used to help students with attention deficit disorders or attention deficit hyperactive disorder. We also use the same wearable in the athletic space. And we actually work with athletes from the beginning levels all the way up to world-class Olympians, Formula One drivers, to United States Olympic weightlifting teams. All right, and we put all those together to get them into the optimal state to perform and compete. So it's absolutely a technology that is available that has got a lot of promise and a lot of future, and we can see it in multiple avenues. Yeah. And it's very targeted, using it in a very kind of targeted way, aren't you? Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Lawrence. I really appreciate it. So I'm just going to get a photo of this and tweet it if that's okay Absolutely. with you. It, it, looks, it looks cool on you, though. Know. Honestly, yeah, it does. I appreciate it. Yeah, it does. So. Okay, so I'm back heading for the VIP area to chill out for a while. It's quite tiring, isn't it? Going around talking to people and doing interviews with them and hustling a little bit um, and ignoring the vast majority of what you see because there's not a great deal of... Uh, interest but I suppose that's what trade shows are all about isn't it really not uh, not everything is going to be of use to you okay so uh, I'll get back to you once I've chilled out for 10 minutes I'd like to say that the chill went well but it didn't because the coffee machine is broken because of a power cut oh the irony at a tech event okay all right so back to uh, wondering and seeing if there's anybody that's interests me so I'm just looking at some smaller tech startups so the likes of AppLab, for example, um, who are a VR uh, platform. Um, they're in the Bet Futures area. Uh, Snaplify, for example, a digital library for schools. Um, we also have in Bet Futures BrainCo, um, who provide cognitive training to prepare the youth of today for the world of tomorrow. Nice. Uh, we also have Teach Pitch. Um, Learn more, teach better. It's a digital skills program. And uh, we also have um, CSE Entertainment, which is um, some kind of um, eye wall thing. Uh, looks a bit like a, a Wii, I suppose. Similar kind of thing. Uh, and of course, Skills Forward, um, leading the way for initial assessments and digital learning. Um, okay, so there's a lot to get your teeth into there. Um, and I'm just gonna see who um, has the most interesting things to say to me. I wish me luck. Right. Okay, I'm here with uh, Martin and Sandra from Lou Interactive Playground. So I'll get, before I get them to talk about it, uh, if I turn around, I'll just uh, tell you what I can see. It's some people throwing balls at squares 
um, because there's some uh, invasion um, of Earth, sorry, invasion um, of um, animals, and they have to stop that happening. But um, they'll make, it, make a lot more sense than I did. I played this before and did really badly. Throwing balls at squares. Well, I think it's massively engaging, and one of the things we feel really passionate about is getting kids to move and learn. I, I always feel as educators now we're competing with Nintendo, aren't we? And you're expecting children to sit still for a long time. The fact that they can learn something can move. So the the activity like that, the galactic activities, that's for getting them moving releasing um, endorphins, dopamine, making them feel good about themselves, achieving. And then when you say, if you want to say to kids, hey, do you fancy doing some maths? They're going to say no. But if you say, oh, come on, let's go and play on the loo, they're going to love it. And they're doing sums. They can use it. It can be used for literacy, geography, all different things on the national curriculum. And the kids don't, they don't think they're learning at all. They just think they've had a ball. And obviously for PE, it comes into its own. Um, we've actually received some funding to, um, to uh, one of our co-directors, Helen, to combat knife crime. Um, and she's running a project in, um, in, in, the, in the, one of the north parts of Liverpool um, where we've got teenagers coming off the streets and they're going to actively engage in the low. Uh, rather than being out on an estate and you've got maybe sort of older teenagers who you wouldn't normally think would engage in that type of activity who love it when are we playing this next when are we doing that and it's great for us because it's from it's popular you can use it with a three-year-old right through to an 87 year old you know so it's good for cross-generational activities as well hopefully yeah right okay so um I mean, do you think, I mean, it, it's nice that we're all from Liverpool, you know, we sort of know each other from uh, Liverpool. Do you find, like a lot of edtech uh, companies find, that really the market is largely very far away from England? Um, uh, well, certainly today, right. it, it feels though, because I would say 85% of people who come here today are international, international delegates. Um, maybe that's just a timing issue at the moment, but certainly I think people are more engaged to really adopt it feels as though at the moment in the English markets, um, but it's very, very early days for this product, so we are still learning ourselves. Yeah. But for us, it's about currently winning hearts and minds because tech can scare certain people. Uh, but ultimately, you know, like you've seen today, Peter, uh, we the kids don't even get a go. Yeah. All the adults are, are, are really on it more yeah. than the children. But that's that's great because once you start to embrace something, you start to understand it. It becomes simplified in the minds. So that is breaking down barriers for us, really. Great. So, um, given that the, the British market's really tough to crack, isn't it? I think because because of funding issues, obviously. Um, what do you say to what would you say to a school if they said to you, you know, why should I spend loads of my budget on on, on this when when money's really tight? Because uh, well, sometimes they can get this really mad idea about you know return on investment that they should get some kind of uh, you know obvious return. But uh, what's the things you say to, to them? Well, firstly, from my perspective, it's. Return on engagement's great, and I understand that, but we're moving into different times now. It's about return on engagement. So we can get people to engage more, because there are children out there what we feel we can't bring in and be inclusive. This is the kind of product what will get those children who are on the edge of things. And really, we are trying to bridge that gap between education and gaming. So this is the kind of product really what, what kind of captures imaginations really. So hopefully they will see the worth in that product. I know, it's, I know it's about investment, but ultimately as well, um, certainly the communities we are talking to at the moment in the schools, uh, they could be part of trusts 
and they could be part of collectives. So really, it isn't necessarily about the insular school, it could be about a series of four to five schools, because the product itself comes in a mobile form as well. So it's not necessarily stuck to a wall or stuck to a ceiling. It can be transportable between schools. So that kind of is the offer we're giving at the moment to try and convince people there's not this big chunk of money just on this one product. It's actually, you can share it between three, four, five establishments. Yeah, and like for example, like a multi-academy trust or a, cl a school cluster could buy it. And one of the things we were talking about, some schools might choose to use their uh, pupil premium or um, if the, you can have it for fun as an after-school activity where if you wanted to offer it as a session £5 per child for an hour, that would actually fund it because it can be bought on a higher purchase scheme as well. But it's also, I used to work in a, what was called an SEBD, which is SEMH, now social emotional behavioural um, difficulties with mental health issues. So it was very active, it's great for neurodiverse children, it's great for fine tuning uh, motor skills. If a child's struggling with a ball, etc., you can you don't have to throw a ball at it, you can touch the wall with your hand itself. It can be accessed with a child in a wheelchair, no problem. So it's massively inclusive. So, um, and I think you've got a child maybe who's um, school phobic, for example. You have something like this; they're going to want it to get into school to do that. You know, it's a great reward lesson as well as a teacher. You do your work all week. Friday, we're going to you book that in as a slot. Okay, we're going to do Spanish, but we're going to use the loo for it. The kids will love it. You can imagine, can't you? What's um, I mean, uh, some of the research I've done into gamification? Um, it's about adults and gamification. You know? So, for example, you know, we all like things to be gamified, don't we? Like you know, bank accounts and um, training at work and things like that. You know, we all like rewards and badges and medals and virtual things like that at, at times. So, um, can you see any potential traction with adults with, with something like this? Well, yes, um, because st stepping aside from the education sector, uh, we've actually discussed uh, other revenue streams, including corporate days. So, basically, You've played it yourself, Peter. Um, it could be a team game, it could be a competitive game, it could be a team building game, more importantly. So we are going to look at those away days, really, as an alternative to, say, paintballing or, or various other exercises. And because it's so new, we are encouraging corporates to be early adopters because we all like new things. Other sectors can be scared of them, but the corporates shouldn't be. The corporates should see it as a fun team building exercise. Yeah. And they're increasingly big on that, aren't they? Of course. Hugely, hugely. There's a dance app as well to teach you dancing, different dancing things, which is great. There's a, it's fabulous for fitness, you know, it can replace squash, that type of sport. It can be as fast as you like, um, you know, if you really want to go. They have different levels, and one of the levels is ninja level, and you see people playing, playing that with the sweat dripping off them, so it's great for cardiovascular exercise. Except. As I was on the Wii trying to do a, a, do a lipper dance routine at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> blow your mind it was. Yeah. I also think because touching on that really uh, in about I think it's five five or six months time there's going to be a content management system implemented into it yeah. because people have already asked this morning well, what if I wanted to do this what if I wanted to do that we're going to give them the freedom to be able to tweak the apps mm -hmm. so so we're, all, we're always thinking of innovation yeah. basically because the moment this is a standstill product for us but it's new to everybody else. Yeah. But we are actually pushing all the time because of different sectors and different needs. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's ideal for that. Fantastic. Well, it's so nice to talk to you, and uh, not just because you're from Liverpool and uh, everything, it makes you feel all at home. Uh, but uh, well, thanks a lot. Good luck. Peter. 
it's quite hard to find your way around, Bet. So the stands are not actually labelled in a very logical way. Uh, I'm looking for EDA 20. So I'm at EDA 45, which is the Cube Modular Buildings. And then at EDA 48, which is Morley's. It's all so far so logical. And then there is EDA 50, which is get set for PE. So it's going up now. So if I want to go down, I need to go the other way, don't I? Right. But if I try to go down, that takes me from EDA 48 to EDA 49, which is back up again, and uh, then to something entirely different. If I try to go another way, so if I try to go down, it goes from EDA 45, which is the cube modular buildings, down to NR42, which is Mastersoft ERP solutions. Hmm. Okay then. Um, so I think I'll just uh, do what I usually do at BET really and just wander around aimlessly until I find something that interests me. Okay, so we're waiting for the keynote speech from Professor Brian Cox, who's about to be introduced right now. Hence the applause. So Brian's about to take the stage, and we'll play some of this, because of course it's about exploring the universe, which of course, exploring the universe, which you can't do without technology. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. And when I was uh, asked to give this talk, I said, what, what, what should I talk about? And then the answer was what you know about, basically. So don't try to tread on your territory. But of course, uh, I wanted to talk about STEM. And I thought, what is the, the uh, in some ways, the easiest and yet the most challenging area of STEM to, to teach, to infuse people about? And, and I think it is certainly cosmology. Uh, cosmology is the, um, it's very, well, it's, the definition is it's the study of the large-scale structure of the universe. But I think it's also the most terrifying of sciences. So um, for the next sort of hour, I want to talk about the science of cosmology, uh, focusing on uh, not only what we've learned about the large-scale structure of the universe, but how we learned it, and also some of the uh, deeper questions that I think cosmology inevitably touches upon. Um, I've started with um, this image, which is probably the least spectacular image in the history of astronomy in many ways. Um, a very dark image, beautiful, it's the Earth-Moon system against the blackness of space. So the Earth and Moon in a single photograph. Uh, it's relatively low quality because it was taken, believe it or not, from Martian orbit by a spacecraft called the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. So it's a view of our system, our planet, from our nearest neighboring planet. So a remarkable technological achievement. But even from this distance, I think you get a sense of the, uh, I said cosmology is a terrifying science, of the power of astronomy to lend perspective to our place in the universe. And indeed, one of the things I want to talk about today is what cosmology tells us about our place in the universe. So it tells us immediately that we are physically insignificant. It's kind of a, an obvious thing. The moment you do any astronomy or cosmology, you feel that. And I think you certainly get it from this rather delicate and low resolution image of the Earth. Okay, I'll leave it there, probably because of the poor sound quality. He's quite far away. But there's a few things we can learn from there in education. A sense of perspective, of course. And of course, big questions being debated in a very accessible way, in a very interesting way.
So that was Professor Brian Cox. What a wonderful speaker. Really enjoyable to listen to. Really engaging, really passionate. And he made everything seem or feel so simple and clear. Um, even though, of course, he was talking about very uh, difficult and complex concepts. Um, a tech can learn from him. He was frequently referring to what we do know as opposed to you know, the conclusions that we can all jump to. So could it be argued that at times um, people involved in edtech are prone to jumping to conclusions or not really dealing with um, very strong um, evidence? Um, and also um, the presentation style, um, so much simplicity and so much clarity um, and so many uh, meaningful visual aids that were helpful. Uh, there were never any sort of redundant visual aids in the presentation. So really enjoyable. My highlights so far of bad. Coming up next, we have a reflection about The Bat Show from Paul Rose from You Teach Me Too. Um, you Teach Me Too, if you look at their website, is all about creating a situation where parents and governors and teachers can all help solve problems in schools for themselves. There's an underlying theme in all the products and services that you see at BET, and that theme is speed. Everybody's trying to offer instant engagement in lessons, rapid assessment of learning, efficient analysis of data. All products and services are designed to sell to people who are under pressure to prove instant impact in their work. And I believe this is where we're getting it wrong. Technology can transform education, but only if we seek to answer a completely different set of questions. And those questions are, does an education offer a young person the knowledge and skills they need to keep themselves safe? Does it offer them the ability to manage their everyday life with confidence? And does it give them the qualifications that they need to have choices in their future lives? Only when we create technologies that solve those questions will we transform education as it so desperately needs. Aha, the sound of Houston Station. So I'm back at Houston Station now, um, and I'll give you more reflections of, uh, on BET um, when, uh, when they come to me, um, I suppose. Plenty of things to follow up, plenty of really good people um, to speak to. Um, there were many people who I, I sort of informally said, oh, I must catch up with you. I literally couldn't find them. Um, that's um, the nature of BET, I think. It's really, really hard to find your way around. Um, so there were about six or seven people who, had, who I've become quite friendly with, um, either virtually or in the real world, and um, I really couldn't find them, sadly. So I'll follow them up as well. That's it for this week. Next week, we have Daisy Christodoulou, the uh, writer of a new EdTech book and several other books about education and assessment and so on. And of course, um, she works for No More Marking. Um, we also have uh, Marielle van der Meer, um, the creator of the London Interdiscipl Interdisciplinary School. Um, and she's going to be talking about the challenges of EdTech in this um, new university that she's setting up. Until then, goodbye.